I have been so excited to get up here today. And not because I know what the Lord's going to say. I mean, I have my outline just like I did last week. We're going to attempt that outline again. I'm excited because I know he's going to speak. That's what I'm excited about. And I'm also excited about this series because there's probably nothing more important to understand once you are a Christian is how to defend yourself against an enemy that constantly comes after you. But the first step in that, as as we've talked before, the first step in that is even realizing that there's an enemy there. That's why we're spending so much time on this history. The history of spiritual warfare and, and where you know where Satan came from and how he got his power in the first place. How does he get his power over your life today? How does he get power over nations? You know, clearly we look at nations, some obviously stronger than others, and we see, man, he has so much power there. How does he get that? It's important to understand how he gets that because God operates in a legal system. And so Satan, believe it or not, Satan doesn't just take that, but he's given it. That's crazy. And, and we think, well, okay, how in the world does a righteous God give Satan authority? What gives him the right? Why would God, who is a righteous God, who loves, right? Jesus loves. God loves. He's all about this love. So why in the world does he give Satan the authority to do what he does? And as we've been talking the last few weeks, you have to understand, he doesn't. We do. See, it all wraps around this idea of choice, which is the fundamental ingredient for love. See, you have to have choice in order to have real love. I can have a bunch of people that I pay to love me, okay, or or I force to love me, but that's not real love. If they don't have a choice, they have to have a choice. It's just like that with God. God loves us so much that he risked the choice that he would give us. Knowing full well of what was going to happen, obviously. But when, when you see things from that perspective, you realize, wow, love is so incredibly important. I loved that last song that we did where, where he said, God loves showing mercy. He loves showing mercy and not judgment. The thing we need to begin to understand is that there are also legal ways that the enemy takes hold that God, by choice, cannot do anything about. In your life, do you understand that you have the choice to choose, right or wrong? You have the choice to choose to allow the Lord to work in your life versus allow the enemy to work in your life. And don't be confused. There's not a third choice. I just kind of handle my own life. Well, that is choosing the enemy. The, The Bible says there is light and there is darkness. 
There's no dim, <laughs> if that makes sense. Okay, there, there's no, we have our own, you know, we, we'll live our own lives, our own righteousness. By that choice, we give it to the enemy. So, so understand there are two choices there. But God decided for the sake of love, he was going to do that because he cherished love from us so much. That's what we were created for. As we talked about before, the angels are created for service. Remember, we went through that in the Word of God. They were created for service. They don't understand love. It's not like Satan was created with love, or when he was created, he was Lucifer. It's not that when he was created as Lucifer, he was created with love, and he lost that love. See, that's not what happened. He wasn't created with love. They were created for service, the Bible says. So when man was created in God's own image, it was for the sake of love, because that image wasn't that we, we all, you know, have beards and, and curly hair, whatever he has, or, or maybe in God the Father, you know, as Hollywood portray him as long flowing gray hair, <laughs> whatever. It's not that we look like him in that way. It's not that God has two hands, two feet. That's not, I'm sure that has part of it, but that's not what it talks about. It talks about the imprint of who he is, a replica of who he is. It's talking about his nature. We are created with love. The capacity for love. The capacity to receive love. The capacity to give love. That's why everything you read in the word of God, especially as Jesus came and lived on this earth and died, was about love. It was, it was about him loving us so much that he gave. Right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes on him wouldn't perish, but they can make that choice to receive eternal life. So, so this idea of of spiritual warfare and why there is a bad that we even have to deal with is for the sake of love. But you have to understand that the very way that we deal with it is the one thing Satan doesn't understand, and that's love. Now, how often as humans do we find ourselves difficult to love other people? <laughs> All the time. Even more tough than that sometimes is how difficult it is to love ourselves. To see ourselves how Jesus sees us. Why? Because we recognize that we're unrighteous. That, that's, that's not hard to figure out. Anybody who has lived and breathed and understood even a little bit knows that they are unrighteous as a Christian, as one who is saved. We know that. So to accept ourselves as fully loved by him, sometimes that's tough. But it's important because that is part of the power that Satan does not understand. See, Jesus came and he died on the cross for the sake of love. For the sake of that love having the power. So let, I, I want you to understand, let's just go back just a few points over the last few weeks that I really want to make sure you understand, just some bullet points as we move forward in this history. 
First of all, God's creation was perfect. We spoke about this the first week. Are, are we in week four? Okay, week four. Okay, we just got started. God's creation is perfect. By the way, that was including man and Lucifer. Everything he created was perfect. It's important to understand that. God did not create evil. God did not not create the pride that Satan had in his heart, that was found, the iniquity found in his heart. Number two, what separates, and I just said this a little bit ago, what separates us from the angels, man from the angels, is that we were created with the capacity for love. Angels were not. If you want to write down Hebrews chapter 1 to look at that later, if you want to remember from a couple of weeks ago, that's important to understand. They do not have the capacity for love. That's why Satan doesn't understand it, what what Jesus did. He knows the effect of it. He doesn't understand it when when you are something is is wrought against you and you turn around in love. That that just blows his mind. He doesn't understand it. It's it's kind of like taking a knife to a gunfight. You you are severely outmanned there. Satan is severely outmanned when we bring love to the table. He doesn't know how to deal with it. He didn't know how to deal with Christ, obviously. Number three, there is no redemption for the angels that sinned. It's important to understand that. Because you wonder, well, okay, if if Satan sees that he's wrong, why, why doesn't he just repent? Because there is no redemption for angels. He could repent all he wants, which he wouldn't do, but he could, and it will make no difference because he was not created with the capacity for love. Don't believe me. You can write it down, look it up later. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Paul there, or the writer of Hebrews, says they are unredeemable. They cannot be redeemed. There is no love in them, so there is no love that can save them. That's an important thing to understand as we move forward today with the history. Number four, we have five of these. Number four, Adam gave Satan authority over the earth. It's important to understand God did not do that. Adam was given authority over everything. He was given authority over all of the fields, all of the animals, all of the plants. He was given authority over that. That didn't mean that it was just his to work. He was given authority. He was put highest on the food chain. Okay? He was in authority over everything. And when he fell, when Adam sinned and ate of the tree that he was not supposed to, And he was not deceived, the Bible says. Remember, Eve was deceived. Adam was not. When he, by choice, ate of that fruit, he gave away that authority. That's an important thing to understand, because as as we go further in this, we're going to understand we give authority away the same way. By what he did, by sinning, by, by having iniquity in our heart, We give authority to the enemy to mess with us, just like Adam did. See, Adam's life changed. (laughs) It changed overnight. You know, I mean, not not only did, did, we'll get into this, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. 
So Adam gives Satan authority over all the earth. That's why Satan was then called the ruler of the earth, the prince and power of the air. Right? He was the king of the earth. Why? Not because God gave him that authority. Not because God said, well, you can't be in heaven anymore, so just go ahead and go down to earth and rule that. No. <laughs> Adam gave it. Adam gave it. And for the sake of love, God gave Adam that choice. He gave Adam that choice. Number five. And we read this in Genesis 3. A redeemer is prophesied. Remember, in Genesis 3 it said that your seed will bruise his heel, but my seed will bruise his head. In other words, you will have effect on my seed and cause damage to my seed. God's speaking this. He said, but my seed will crush you. If you receive a blow to your ankle, I mean, I suppose everybody except for Achilles, you know, that, that's, that's just, a, that's, it hurts and it puts you out of commission. But you receive a death blow to the head and you die. That's what he was prophesying there. He was saying for the first time, there is a redeemer that is going to come by choice, a man by choice, to redeem all of mankind, to literally reverse what Adam just did. Give the option to each of us. But see, Satan's reaction to that is, I want to hold on to what I have. I'm the prince and power of the air. I am in control of everything. I want to hold on to it. I want to fight for everything I can get. So, so this stage is set. And don't be confused. You don't have God on one side, Satan on the other, and they're battling together. You have God on one side saying, I love you. And saying, it's your choice. And then on the other side, you have an accuser trying to keep you from that love. Because he knows, as soon as you understand that love, he's lost you. He has no more reign in your life. When you understand the love of Jesus Christ, he has no more reign in your life. So let's pray as we get into today. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for who you are. And God, I pray that every word out of my mouth is not my words, but yours. I pray that we begin to understand this warfare and the tools that you give us to understand it, make them be clear. I pray as a group here and those listening online that we start to get it. We start to understand that we have authority to wage war against the enemy. We're not simple pawns in this game between God and Satan. We actually are the decision maker. God doesn't force us, and Satan cannot force us in all the decisions that we make. Lord, help us to understand what you have for us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
I want you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And so now what has happened is Adam sinned, you know, Eve sinned, and now God comes and says, what's going on? You know, they, they realize they were naked. They go and they try and put a few leaves together. And then God finds them. So that's the scene where we're at right now. And when he comes to them, and we had talked about it before, he talks about the serpent, he curses the serpent and everything else. But he does something for Adam and Eve here that is a precedent in the, in the Word of God. And very important to understand. I want you to look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Okay, what does that mean? Does it just mean that, well, you know what, leaves dry up and die, so that's not going to last very long. So let me give you something that's going to last. No, because see, God could have provided them with a covering in many different ways. But what he does here is he sets a precedence for what sin being covered will cost. See, it had to cost life. It had to cost blood to be covered in that sin. So God does the very first sacrifice you see in the word of God. And unless you're paying attention, you don't get that. Because, it, well, you know, they needed to be covered. It was maybe cold. And, well, no, it wasn't cold. It didn't get cold till after the flood. It wasn't about cold. They had lived for probably over 100 years without any clothes, right? So it wasn't about that. It was about a covering of what now they realized was sin. That's what Jesus said in, in, in uh, chapter 3. He said, he said, well, who told you you were uncovered? Did you eat of the fruit? Yeah, that was kind of a rhetorical question because God knew the answer to that. But just like a parent teaching a child, he needed them to say what they had done. See, because until they admitted what they did, he could not make those skins for them. He could not slaughter what was probably a lamb, what was probably a spotless lamb. He could not do that until they admitted what they had done. And when they admitted that, yes, we ate of the fruit, but oh, it was her fault. And she was, well, yeah, I ate of the fruit, but it was his fault. I mean, in reality, they could point to that because there was truth to that. But they admitted what they had done. They didn't say, well, I didn't do that. You know, like sometimes kids do. <laughs> sometimes adults do, right? But once they admitted that, then our Father could cover their sin. Their sin was covered by sacrifice. That sacrifice was the sacrifice of a life. It was the sacrifice of a lamb. That's important to understand that, that God here sets a precedent for what the cost of sin is. It took life to be redeemed. 
Man was then put out of the garden. Turn to uh, verse 22 to 24. Because man was now put out of the garden. Let's read. Verse 22 says this. Then the Lord God said, Behold, he had just covered them. He had just covered their sin. So their sins had been forgiven. But the Lord said this. Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, it wasn't that that he became like God now. That the only difference between man and God was that God knew everything. And man was held back from knowing evil. It wasn't that. It was that he became like God in knowing good and evil. And being able to distinguish between the two. Now, verse 22 in the middle. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And I I, I love the next part in verse 24. He drove out the man. See, the man didn't want to go. He drove out the man for the sake of the fact that man now had the capacity for sin. He had to drive him away from what would keep him alive forever. See, the Garden of Eden was a real place. It is a real place. It didn't just get destroyed after man was sent out of it. You understand the Garden of Eden still exists today. There is a cherub standing at the gate to get in with a flaming sword. That's not to keep man out. I don't think it would take that to keep me out of there. I mean, just hiding it, for that matter, keeps me out. (laughs) Right? That was to keep the enemy out of there. Why? Because there's a real tree. This tree of life that he said. This tree of life that gives eternal life. So there is a fruit that you can eat that gives eternal life. God is in control of this fruit. You see it come up again in Revelation. Do you know when, when, when we are in the thousand year reign of Christ, we will eat of the tree, of the fruit of the tree of life. That's what it says. Now, what pops up in my mind, what if we don't? Do we die? I don't know. If anybody has that answer, let me know. But I think it's really interesting that that's a real tree and that's a real thing that God had to keep from man because now, now man had the capacity for sin. He could not give him eternal life. He could not let him continue to sin and not have payment for that sin. See, for the wages of sin is death. When you sin, you deserve death. So it is only death that can cover that sin. Does that make sense? That's what he's trying to tell us here. So he puts man out of the garden... So man would not live forever in his sin. Now keep in mind this whole time, God has already devised a plan. Because he did it earlier in Genesis. He said to Satan, one day you will be crushed. Your head will be crushed. So God already knew what was going to happen. He already knew the plan he had in place. 
He had to get man out of the garden so man in his own realm did not have access to eternal life. Because there's a cost to when we sin. For Adam, it was life itself. And that wasn't the only cost. I mean, if we won't read on, but if you read on, you understand that now you had to toil to work harder. It didn't say now you have to work. Please understand that work is not a bad thing. This might surprise you, but when we get into the thousand-year reign of Christ and when we get into eternity, we're going to work. If you don't believe me, just read the Word of God in understanding that there are still nations at that time. There are still governments. There are still authorities. It's not that we all kind of float around in our new wings and, hey, how you doing? It's not that. Okay, we, we work. The difference here now because Adam has fallen is work wasn't enjoyable anymore. You know, when, now when he's, he's got to pull weeds around the, 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 the different plants that he's planted. You know, you can imagine. And, and at this point, he didn't even have kids to do it for him. That's why we had kids. That's why we had them 14 years apart. Because once Brooke was gone and she couldn't pull weeds for us anymore, here comes Yvonne and she should be able to do it. <laughs> so he was sent out of the Garden of Eden, did not have any more access to the tree of life because there had to be payment for that sin. So now begins the strategy of the enemy. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 4. Okay, as we read this, we're going to read 1 through 7, but this is the, this is the, what Cain did. You know, Cain and Abel, uh, Adam and Eve had Cain and, and, and Abel and, you know, raised them up, teaching them. The Bible doesn't say that they were taught how to do this sacrifice. It just says that they did it. Okay, but you have to understand that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God already taught them, taught them what the payment for sin was. So as we read this, understand that Cain knew what it was supposed to be, but pride, just like with Satan, pride entered his heart. Verse 1, chapter 4. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. How did they know? See, the Bible doesn't tell us, but they went to school. They were told. They were taught. Don't let it fool you that, that Cain is offering what he thinks is right. See, he, he had been shown his whole life what was right. This isn't just the second offering in the Bible. Abel didn't just automatically know, oh, okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. He was raised doing this. As we you know, progress into Leviticus, we understand that, that these things were done on a systematic basis. You know, the sin offering was done once a year. So at the very least, he was taught to do this on an annual basis. But then Cain 
pride enters his heart and, and Cain offers up his own. And, and um, where was I? Uh, verse 5. But for Cain in his offering, he had no regard. God did. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. He had to be young because that, that's, that tends to be a, a young response anyways. <laughs> right? They get upset and they just put their head down. And I, I'm, just, I'm just really upset with what you just said to me. I'm going to show it all over my face. Cain was upset. Why? Because he wanted to be better than what was already being offered. He wanted to be better than his brother because his brother tended the sheep. Well, okay, well, I do this, so I want to offer the best of what I do instead of what God wants. And it's really easy in our minds to justify that. Well, God put me here, so why can't the best of what I do here be enough for him? You can imagine that's what Cain's thinking, right? God made me a tiller of the ground. So why isn't the best of what I do here good enough? We say that to ourselves all the time. Well, God, you know, why isn't this good enough for you? Because this is what I do and this is what I know. Where the whole time God said, wait a second, I've already established what has to be. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters with what is. There has to be a sacrifice of life for life. A sacrifice of blood for our lives. And so Cain sinned. The Lord said, you know, after his face had fallen, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. See, that's powerful to me because the Lord here says sin didn't happen when he did the sacrifice that way. That's not where the sin was. The sin was in when he was made accountable to it. He made a choice. When he was accountable and God said, no, this is how it's supposed to be, and he reacted in that way that, wait a second, why isn't mine good enough? That's where the sin happened. The sin doesn't happen in ignorance. The, the sin happens in choice. Even in our own lives, we make choices every day and it's in those choices whether we're either obedient or we're sinful. I want you to understand, too, that this, these first seven verses here, really, and really just the last few, are, are so interesting to me because this is the beginning of religion versus relationship. You know, we think all that happened in the New Testament, right? No, it happened right here with Cain and Abel. See, Abel was a picture of relationship with Jesus Christ because there was obedience. Abel knew what the cost was for his sin. Abel knew what it would take to stay in fellowship with God. Cain didn't care about that. Cain cared about his own feelings. Cain cared about his own pride. What he puts his own work into. 
Isn't that the picture of religion today? And, and by the way, they were both, if you want to call it saved, they were both saved. They both knew God. So I'm not talking about the world's religion versus Christianity. I'm talking about Christianity. See, you have a choice of religion in Christianity or relationship in Christianity. In relationship, you understand the cost of sin. You understand the cost of your choices. Why? Because the Bible says that when we sin, it separates us from the Word of God. Let's go down to verse 16 because this is an important thing to understand. Satan then puts this strategy in place right here at the beginning. Verse 16, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. Do you think he had to? Do you think God sent him away? No, it doesn't say that. It said that about Adam and Eve, where God sent them. He literally pushed them out of the Garden of Eden. That didn't happen with Cain here. Cain could not get past his own feelings on this, that he then separated from his family. And by, and by the way, don't, don't be confused. By this time, it's not just the four of them. <laughs> right? It's, it's not just the four of them. There were, there were others. They were fruitful and multiplied. That was the one commandment God gave them to do. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they were, they, they were fulfilling that. So Cain separated himself from the rest. But I, I want to I interject something here. He may have made the choice to do it, but this is part of warfare. And this is an important thing to understand because there are signs that we can see in our own lives where the enemy gains control. I want you to write this down. One of the very first things Satan will do to gain control or to start gaining control is this. I want you to write down two words. He separates us. And he isolates us. He knows if he can separate and isolate you, then the powers that he fights against are no longer there. That's what he did with Cain. He separated him and isolated. See, Cain had not killed Abel yet. Don't, don't, don't get the two mixed up. He, this wasn't when he left because... He was marked because he had killed Abel. He hadn't killed Abel yet. He separated himself or he allowed the enemy to separate him and isolate him and sit in his own thoughts. That is so dangerous for us to do. I mean, when, when we get on our own, it, you always hear the term, go off and sit and feel sorry for yourself. But the truth of that is there is power for the enemy in that. If he can get you by yourself, and you have already given him authority to mess with you, to speak to you, whether you realize it or not, you've already done that with, with the sin that you had done. So, so now he just has to separate you. If he separates you, you have no one there to fight with you. Then he isolates you. 
makes you feel like you're the only one that this happens to. God is so unfair. Why is he doing this to you? He shouldn't be doing this to you. You don't deserve this. You should be able to offer your offering how you want. Because out of your heart, it was good. You were given your best. You could just imagine what Satan was saying to Cain then. And and Cain's just soaking it in. Why? Because he allowed himself to be separated and isolated. Look at your own life. Look at times that you have, have been the lowest in your Christian walk. I will guarantee, attached to that, you have been separated somehow. And you have isolated yourself from the very thing that can help you. See, because not only does iron sharpen iron, but if you were to read on, you know, when, when he said, where is your brother Abel? He says, who am I, my brother's keeper? You know, God's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are your brother's keeper. You are to look out for your brother. You are to look out for your brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a responsibility as a family, as the bride, to look out for each other. That's why God allowed for an entire bride to be broken down into local churches. Why? Because we're supposed to help each other. We are our brother's keeper. Because the very first thing that Satan does is he separates and isolates. So if we can fight him at that first fork in the road, it's an easier fight. It's easier to defeat him at the beginning than it is when he has gotten his claws entrenched into us. But see, you got to believe it. you got to even believe that the warfare is there. Otherwise, none of this even makes sense. Well, no, I separated myself because, you know, I just wanted to. Remember, there, there's not a third party. You are influenced by the enemy because the enemy has control of the air. He has control of the earth. He was given that by Adam. So there are forces that are trying to bring you away from the love of God. So again, this was the birthplace of religion. Because I believe with my whole heart, we're going to see Cain in heaven. Because he knew God. He made wrong choices. And I don't know, you know, it doesn't really say a whole lot about the rest of his life. But I can tell you that His line is a pretty rough line. What came after him was pretty rough. But don't be confused. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden, well, he 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 just he he is. We won't see him in heaven. He's he he is defeated and you know put him in the realm of of Satan. Because that's not necessarily the case. But Satan had victory in his life. You know, when we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts, it doesn't mean that we won't have warfare. In fact, many times you have more. Because Satan sees what God wants to do in your life. 
He sees the potential for testimony, and he wants to stop it in any way he can. So one way he does that is religion. Well, if I just kind of do my thing, you know, have this list of things that I do, go Sunday morning, do this and do that, and, you know, hand out a track every now and then or whatever, you know, do my religion, I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven. But you see, there's not the impact. There's victory for the enemy there. There's heavy warfare for us. It's when we choose relationship that God then binds us together in unity. You know, we can only be a unified church, Ignition Church right here. We can only be a unified church and be part of that unity if we see this as relationship. Because then my relationship with Jesus Christ becomes the most important thing. Not my religion. Not how I, how I portray myself. That, that, that's supposed to be after the fact. That's supposed to be what God does. All I have to focus on is him and my relationship with him. So again, he separates and isolates. That's what he did with Cain. And thus began a strategy that Satan has brought all the way to today. If he can separate us and isolate us, he can neutralize us. He could stop us from our effectiveness. But now I want to get into it, and we're not going to get too sidetracked on this. Because <laughs> I, could, I could probably go a couple weeks on this one. But, but I want you to understand, because this is important. I want you to understand a strategy that then began, that, that was birthed in Satan. He knew that there was a coming Redeemer. He knew that that Redeemer had to be man. He knew that it was only man that gave away the authority, so it was man that had to take it back. He knew that because he knows God's law, even though it wasn't written until much later, right? Satan knew it because that law was written before the world began. That law of what was right, you know, Jesus said, or, or God said, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil well, to be able to understand that, you had, there had to be a law already established. There had to be righteousness already established. Satan knew that. So he knew that a man had to be the one that could claim what was lost. So he knew that a, a Messiah was coming. He knew that Jesus Christ was coming. So if you're Satan, what do you do? You begin to devise ways to stop him from coming. See, if I control mankind and God has to come as a man, remember it said the seed, okay, through the seed. God's seed still had to go through man, had to produce man. So it wasn't that he was going to create a brand new man that was sinless that could redeem the world. That's why God had to, had to have his son injected into his own creation. And he was injected with perfect seed. He had a perfect lineage, okay, coming from the Holy Spirit. But he became man and was fully man because he came through Mary. So Satan knew this was coming. So he began to devise a plan to thwart it. And these first, 
you know, however many years it was, I, I, I want to say it was uh, uh, probably a little over a thousand years. I mean, that's a long time. This wasn't just 20, 30 years. Don't, don't think that, it, that prior to the flood, there was a couple hundred people on the earth. You know, the earth was full. You know, you can have a lot of babies in 12, 1300 years, especially if you don't die. <laughs> right? You can, you can procreate a lot. The earth was filled. But Satan had a plan. Let's, let's read in chapter 6. We're going to read through, well, we're going to eventually go through uh, 14, starting at verse 1, but I, I might stop in there. But I want you to understand he devised a plan. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born unto them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they chose. One thing to understand here. The sons of God, when you see them all throughout Scripture, they are angels. Okay, notice the, the S, in, and I'm not going to go into the Hebrew here, but, but the S in the sons is a small s. This is not the son of God, Jesus Christ. This are the sons of God. They are a direct creation of God. That's why they're called, angels are called the son of God. Angels were created. They were not procreated. There's a difference. See, you and I were not created. You and I were procreated from God's creation. See, Adam and Eve were God's original creation. After Adam and Eve, all of humankind became procreation. It became creation from that creation, if that makes sense. Okay, but with angels, angels were all created. They were not procreated. So, so again, they, they did not have this, this sense of what we have, family, you know, procreation, all that stuff. So, so Satan has a third of the angels that had fallen with him, which who knows how many that, that was. I mean, the only, the only number I could even attach to it is the fact that we know we have an, an angel assigned to each one of us, right? The Bible says that in Psalms. We have an angel assigned to each one of us. Now, I don't know if like one angel is assigned to multiple people, but let's just say that each of us is, has an angel. There's at least, what, seven billion of them? <laughs> right? Because it doesn't mean Christians. It means everybody has an angel assigned. Okay? So, so there are not just a small number of angels. There are not just a couple thousand angels. There were many, many, many angels, and Satan took a third of them. So he begins to devise this plan, and, and, and back to what we were reading. And, and these angels, his fallen angels, look at the women that have been procreated and says, man, they look good. We'll decide to take wives of them like the, like the humans do. And one thing you have to understand in the Old Testament especially back then, was the interaction between angels and mankind was very different than it is now. Okay, It was very understood, very widely accepted. I mean, just like in the Garden of Eden, you know, Adam and Eve walked with God. 
You know, there, there, there was a lot more going on with that. It wasn't the deception that Satan now has. And, and cause his plan has changed and evolved over the time. So, so again, these angels, they, they kind of get jealous and they, they want, they, they take these wives on for themselves. And I'm going to say something about that a little later that you don't need to take his gospel. I'm going to give you my conjecture, but. Then the Lord, verse 3, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. What God was saying there is, I am declaring to destroy mankind. And from this point, 120 years from now, man will be destroyed. That's what he's declaring in this, because, he's, because of everything that's been happening. Verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. They were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. This is really easy to skip past, but it's very important in understanding the strategies of the enemy. It's very important to understand what we deal with. First of all, that word Nephilim there in the, in the Hebrew, it, it talks about giants, okay, physical giants, but there's more than that. The word there actually means that there is a ferocity to them. They were ferocious. They were not normal. Okay, so you have now two things on the earth. You have man procreating, which has been up since Adam, Man is procreating. Remember, this is happening over however many, 11, 12, 1300 years. Okay, we know Methuselah, he, he was almost a thousand years old when he died. And when he died was when the flood came. So, so however long before that, and, and I should have that answer, but I don't. But you're, you're talking about 11, 12, 1300 years. A lot of procreating can happen in that time with mankind but then also what these angels started to do. They came in and procreated with women, and they produced an offspring. If that, if that astounds you, it shouldn't. Because you have to understand that's exactly what happened with Jesus Christ. Not the procreation part, not, not the coming together part that they did, but Jesus was made of the Holy Spirit... And man. So there was an offspring produced that was spirit and man. Now we know in ourselves we are spirit, mind, or soul, who we are, and then body, right? This was the same thing, but the seed of these were different than the seed of man. Even though the corruption of man came down through the generations. When Adam gave up the authority, you know, everyone after Adam was born into sin, just like we are today. When we're born, we're born into sinful flesh. Why? Because of our ancestors. Because they were born into sinful flesh, and their seed and egg produced us. So we're born into this sinful flesh. Well, understand that that when Jesus came, that's why it had to be the seed of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was pure. 
The Holy Spirit is, is, is God and imprints perfection on his spirit. Okay, look at that just the opposite with the Nephilim. The Nephilim were a production of fallen angels and women. So there was a, not, not just a incorruptible, or I mean a corruptible seed, but a seed that was opposite of righteous. A seed that everything about it was against God. And, and don't believe me, believe what it says here. That, that they were, the, these were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. What, what the Hebrew is saying there is that these men had reputation globally. This wasn't like, yeah, you heard about that guy in that village over there? No, this was a global thing. They had power. And you can imagine the course of time and, and, and you know, them not having death. You can imagine how many of these were built up. And, and there's no way to say, but I, I'm positive we're talking about billions of these. And I'll tell you why. Because, see, it was because of that sin that God decided to destroy the earth. Not because of man's sin. Man had been there now for over a thousand years. Dwelling with God, making sacrifice for his sin. But something changed. See, something changed because Satan began to interject into, into the line of man this seed that was unredeemable. You have to understand that. You understand that, that these Nephilim that ended up dying in the flood, they were not redeemable because it's our spirit that's redeemed. It's not our body. We're given glorified bodies. That all changes when we get to heaven. It's not our will that's perfect. It's not our mind, our will that's perfect. That's not what is sealed in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. It's our spirit. So their spirit came literally from Satan and his fallen angels. They cannot be redeemed. So you have this global thing, this, this global increase of, of these, I'll say, freakish people. And freakish in the way that, yes, they were big, and there, there were different size variations, and, and it's really interesting to su study this because there, there are many, many accounts of it. But they were freakish in how much they hated God. And, and there, there was a lot that they were doing during this time frame that caused God to say, I've got to get rid of mankind. Because so much of him is becoming unredeemable. So he, he finds one who is, I want to say worthy of saving, for lack of a better word, but I'll, I'll explain that here in a second. Let's keep going. Verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually. You could just see Satan's hands written all over this. He had an intent to destroy mankind, so the very seed that was supposed to bring the Redeemer would be cut off. See, if, if, there was no, if, if he tainted all of mankind with his seed, then the, the Messiah couldn't come, because it can't be born of that corruptible seed. And that corruptible seed would have been, the, the seed of, of Satan out of chapter 3 would have been in everybody. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and the intentions of, the, of his heart were evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I made him. I regret that I made him. And there's that beautiful word in the word of God again, but. (laughs) But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. See, Noah, who was a man, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's keep going. Because there's a reason he found favor. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. What you have to understand there in the Hebrew, what it's not talking about that he was righteous and he didn't sin. Everybody sinned. Okay? He, he had followed God. And if you look at his line, you know, all, all the way back to Adam, his line came through Seth, and and they worshipped God. He worshipped God, but we worship God. It doesn't make us righteous, especially Old Testament. You're righteous when you offer a covering for your sin. That's not what it was. That's not why he was chosen. Okay, he was chosen for that next part. He was blameless in generations. The the word there, blameless, in the Hebrew actually means perfect. He was perfect in his generations. So the fact that his line was separated from all the other lines indicates that there was something different there. And God says here what that difference is. He was perfect. He was not corrupted by the seed of the enemy. He was not corrupted. So so through Noah, you could have the Messiah come. Because you didn't have the infiltration of the enemy's seed in his line. That's why he was made perfect in his generations. Now it saddens my heart to think that there, there were billions and billions of people probably on the earth at that time. And and yet, God only found one. Satan's attack had almost done its job. See, if, if Satan could stop the line of mankind and corrupt it within his own seed, then the Messiah couldn't come. So that's why God then destroyed mankind, but he allowed a remnant to live. That remnant had not been corrupted by the enemy. 
That's just wild to think about. But here's what's more wild. let's, Let's continue reading here. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. Uh, This was after he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. So he gives Noah this way out. This chance at redemption. But it's, it's important to understand here that the earth was not destroyed simply because of sin. Okay? This was a very unique sin. This was a sin that the enemy literally corrupted mankind with. And and the reason I bring this up now in terms of, of this spiritual warfare, why does this matter? Why does it matter what happened before the flood? You ever wonder what a demon is versus an angel, a fallen angel? See, see, the Bible talks about both. In terms of the, the angel, whether it be fallen or not, they always have the capability of showing themselves. They have embodiment. They have their own bodies. In fact, in Sodom and Gomorrah, when the angels came, the men there wanted the angels. It wasn't because they saw some aberration of some hologram of some angel. Oh, the hologram looks good. It wasn't that. It was because they could manifest themselves in a physical way that we are today. In other words, mankind could have the capability of seeing them just like we see other people. The Bible says often we entertain angels unaware. So so we could be hanging out with somebody or somebody helping us on the road with a flat tire and we never even realized they were an angel. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. We've experienced that. Where you look back afterwards and you think, wow, I, you know what? I think that was an angel. I, I, I won't get into the story, but, but my, my wife's sister has a story, and I think Alex was with him, but of this guy that helped him on the road. And then as they pull away, he's gone. He's, and they, they were in a field. It wasn't like you know, he could hide behind a tree or something. So, so angels can be seen. They have a body that can manifest. Demons don't. In fact, every time you see in the word of God a demon, they are seeking embodiment. See, they cannot do anything physically without a body. And I submit to you, a demon is, they, is the spirit that was left over of the Nephilim. You see, because when they died in the flood, it was only their body that died. Their spirit lived on. Remember, their unredeemable spirit lived on. It didn't mean that they just died and now they either go to heaven or hell. Because 
they, their spirit part was never human. Just like the fallen angels, their spirit part was never human and it's not redeemable. So th- there are major differences in the word of God between demons and fallen angels. So what did Satan get out of this? First of all, he, he tried to thwart the seed being perfect. You know, he tried to thwart the Messiah even coming. But out of it, he got an army that goes after us all the time. He added to his forces, however many it was. And, and I think the numbers are astronomical. The reason I believe that is because he doesn't seem to care to lose what he has. He just, they're just more. When, when you cast a demonic spirit into the abyss, he, he, I, don't, I really don't think he cares. Because there are more. But they are a force that goes after us. Now, in talking about spiritual warfare, and, and, and you know, I don't know where you're at as far as believing all this. Okay, but you have to understand that when demons come after us, they have no power to do anything. Except one thing. They can produce fear. They can whisper into your ears. And they can produce fear. The Bible says, for we are not given the spirit of fear. It doesn't say that fear is just this thing, you know, that we all kind of feel sometimes. See, fear is a spirit. Fear is summoned when these low-level demonic spirits that don't have their own body, they speak into our minds or they might manifest in a certain way and they produce this fear. And that brings on the heavier artillery. See, you have authority over these demonic spirits. You can tell them to leave. And by the way, it doesn't mean that they manifest themselves to everybody. They are strategic because Satan is strategic. Why do you think it's so different when you go to other countries? You know, and, and for those of you who have never been been over it, it just it opened my eyes so much the first time I went to Africa. And and I, I saw the witch doctors, I saw the the people that that you know for a demon to manifest to them that that was that wasn't a surprise. You know, Lex and I watched a movie last night I've seen many times, but um uh what was it called? Furious Love. By, by Darren Wilson, right? I think it was his, seven, his second one. But, but it, it talked about how the enemy, you know, works through mankind and in a, just, just goes after them in this demonic presence. But it's so different in the U.S. versus somewhere else. And you see that when you go over there. Why? Because Satan's strategic. If he can believe, if he can get you to believe that this doesn't happen, that's his best strategy. Because then it's not even on your mind, doesn't even think about it. And so the wiles of the devil out of Ephesians 6, he has, he has a, a clear path 
to do what he wants. Because we don't believe that he's there. We don't believe that, that he has these demonic spirits that, that can speak into our, our minds. Or can try and influence us in some way. So it's, it's really, really important to understand that they are there and where they came from. And, and lastly here, I want you to turn to Ephesians 6. And this, this is where we get the idea and understand that there is a hierarchy of spirits in the fallen world. It's not just these hierarchy within the fallen angels, but it's hierarchy within these demonic spirits because they came from a hierarchy in real life. Before they died, as the Nephilim, they were given positions of authority on the earth. You know, and I, I, again, I don't want to derail us or anything, but, but there's so much history you could pull up that, that proves that point. But verse 12 in Ephesians 6 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, and you know this verse, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. If you understand the Greek in that verse, you understand that God isn't just restating the same thing over and over for emphasis. He's actually telling you that there is a hierarchy of power within the warfare that we deal with. And by the way, demonic spirits, they're the lowest level. As you begin to understand your authority in Christ, understand you have authority over that. Understand that, that when, when you are presented temptation to sin, you don't have to sin just because that temptation is too strong. See, the Bible says, resist temptation, and what happens? He flees from you. He run, it doesn't say he just stands there and waits. No, he says, resist temptation, and he runs. He runs away. If you apply that in your life, that is giving authority. You give authority either way. You either give authority to the enemy to come and attack by succumbing to temptation, even temptation to not believe that any of this is real. But you also give authority to God in saying, I do believe this. I give you the authority, the authority to protect me, the authority to, to make me aware of my authority in you. The greatest thing a Christian can begin to understand is the authority you're given. And, and by the way, in this way, it's very different from Old Testament to New Testament. See, because when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, he lifted mankind. He lifted mankind above the angels. He was lifted above the angels, gave us the capacity to be lifted above the angels. Why? Because he knew we needed that authority here on earth to fight the enemy. And we're going to get into that next week in, in, in how we begin. You know, Satan, now, now when Jesus Christ came, 
Satan's strategy had to change. You know, when Jesus Christ came, died on the cross, you know, that was the crushing blow to Satan. He's not any longer trying to stop the Messiah. <laughs> That's been done. He, he missed that. He never was able to stop that. Praise God. So his strategy has shifted. And, and what he wants has shifted because he operates out of hate. So we'll continue that next week. Let's bow our heads in prayer.